You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 173 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Malisha. How are you, Gina? I'm good, Val. It's late. It's been a long day, but we're here. Yes, we're <laughs> here. to chat to you and catch Ready up. Ready to go. <laughs> What's been happening in Can you believe like Christmas is almost around the corner? What are we going to do for a, you know, because last year, at mm. Christmas time, you and I, we didn't get together in person, did we? But we we <laughs> Skyped with champagne a yes. lot. Yes. Like that was probably the worst hangover I've had oh, this year after that well. episode. Mm, I know. It was like a two-hour record. Well, the thing is I'm going to be seeing you in a few weeks because you're going to come up to Sydney and we will be doing some shooting together. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a cup two days of shooting together actually or at least two days of shooting. And so we've been busy planning that and casting people and deciding on locations and stuff like that, which which I love. Uh, Sometimes I love the prep more. uh, Well, I certainly love the prep just as much as the day. And the day I love when it goes well. (laughs) Yes. Um, But uh, then we can also um, report back to all of our listeners on how the shooting went. So that's going to be fun. So when we catch up, we'll certainly be able to share a bottle or two of, you know, some bubbles. Correct? Yeah, for sure. I Definitely. think Gina just got distracted there by Gary or by by her son or someone. Have I did disappeared? You hear, did you hear Gina kind of? Did you hear Gina kind of drift off and not really pay attention to me? I think oh. you might have heard that. Yes. Have I? Um, have no, I? Been you're here. I'm you're here. But you no, were distracted. I had to, no, because I had to pick Gary up off the floor. Okay, he's, he's now in my demanding. lap. Gary is Gina's dog. He's been very good today. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, I, I've totally lost my train of thought. Let's get back on back onto the topic of photography. What have we yes. got this week, Gina? I am very excited to bring a interview with a legend in the photography in- industry uh, mm. by the name of Peter Eastway, and mm. I think. A lot of photographers, like he is uh, a contemporary Australian photographer who is internationally known for his landscape and travel work. And I think Mm. there would be many listeners who would know Peter Eastway from his work on the Netflix series Tales of Light, Tales by Light, sorry, where he goes to Antarctica. Like, and like talk about dream job. Peter, for the last uh, 40 plus years, has travelled the world taking 
jaw-droppingly beautiful, epic landscape images and travel images, and his portraits are also very beautiful. He is such a passionate uh, photographer and uh, mm. um, amazing. I, I adore his work and it's, you know, it's next level. He's an absolute legend. How many photographers can say, like you have to be a rock star to say you've got your own Netflix special? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. You that know, is so true. <laughs> not many people can say that. Uh, no. and, uh, and he also has a lot of amazing things to share about his thoughts on photography and what it means to how to take your photography to the next level. And he shares some fantastic tips to the listeners to what it takes to get uh, your landscape and travel images or the type, take the t- type of photography that uh, Peter does. So, yeah. Let's have a listen to Peter Eastway. G'day, Peter. Welcome to the show. How are you going? I can't complain. I'm, I'm awake, which is uh, always a good start. <laughs> so, um, yes, it is morning. It's not that late. It's not that early, though. So where in the world are you at the moment? Well, I'm in sunny Sydney, and it is sunny. I mean, what's it like down in Melbourne? Because it's, there it, is this, uh, this problem between Sydney and Melbourne people, isn't there? <laughs> it's a bit of rivalry. It's actually uh, – it was sunny earlier, but it's uh, it's a little bit uh, – it's gone a little bit cat now, so it's a bit overcast. It's actually very nice light for shooting because it's got uh, nice thin cloud cover but a bit of kick, so it's like it's got a little yeah. bit of, you know it, – it, Just a little bit of sparkle in there, just, just right for a, a person in the landscape, eh? Exactly. And also for portraits. I, I, I really like this sort of lighting for portraits. Uh, now, Peter, I'm so excited to uh, talk to you today. Uh, last week, I watched two documentaries on Netflix, right? Both by rock stars. The first one was uh, by uh, you <laughs> and the other one was Lady Gaga. So, like, how does it feel to, to, to well, be Lady, a rock Lady star? Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga's definitely got more hair than I have. She has. Uh, but how does it feel to, like, have your own Netflix special? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm only 27 years of age. I know. But, um, I thought I'd you were be... a bit older. I thought you were 29. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> And I suppose if someone said to you, what would be the perfect job? And that's when you get somebody ringing you up. Um, Abraham Joff rang me up and said, um, Peter, we want to do a television um, show. And I thought, oh, yeah, here we go. I've I've probably had 10 people say that to me over the years. All right. I've, I've even done you know screen tests and things like that. And then the funding always falls through. But he said, no, no. He said, I've got Canon on board and they're really keen to partner in this and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you know we We'll pay you some money and you can go anywhere in the world. Where do you want to go to? Oh, That's my it. God. That's it, the dream phone it, call. It is. And, and, and I, I, you know, so I said, oh, well, I don't know. He said, I thought Antarctica. I thought you'd be jumping at Antarctica. I said, well, I, I'd love to go back down there. That's uh, one of my favourite places in the world. So he said, righto. And it, it just happened. So I, I was – Always sort of thinking, oh, yeah, this will never happen. Something will fall over. But then he, like I was the last of the series to be sort of shot. I mean, they're a little bit done afterwards. But I'd go over to his studios and I'd be watching the stuff done by uh, Wolf and uh, Richard Ianson 
uh, Darren Jew's stuff with the, the whales, et cetera, Crystal Wright, and I was watching all of this stuff on the cutting room floor, obviously, on, on their computer screens as they're editing it. And what, what started off was, oh, I can go down to Antarctica. How hard is it going to be? Everybody goes to Antarctica, gets great shots. It's going to be easy. But then I'm watching the stuff that Abe's got from these other photographers and I'm thinking, holy hell, I might be batting above my weight here. I mean, wow. the stuff these guys are getting. I mean, yeah. so there are six in that first series. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> series three, as we speak, is uh, in production, as I understand now. So oh, there awesome. are quite a few more coming coming through. But, um, you know, a great honour and uh, fantastic, fun job. Uh, you know, great, great, great to do. Love to do another one. If anybody's listening out there, I'm available. (laughs) So that's uh, Tales of Light uh, available on Netflix. Can you see it anywhere else? Not, uh, not at the moment. I don't believe. I think it is um, now exclusively through through Netflix, mm. which is, isn't too bad. And I mean, it's it's really cool. I, I get um, emails saying, "Oh, it was great to see you from all around the world, all yeah. different um, languages, etc." I have an, an Instagram page where it seems to be that people go and look for me first these days. I must start putting a few more uh, yes. Antarctic shots up onto Instagram. I've I've been a little bit too um, New Zealand, uh, Iran, and Georgia weighted recently. But, uh, yeah, these things come and go. I know. I have to talk to you about all these amazing locations that you've uh, been to as well. So, like, just before we get into all of that, um, let's just get into a bit of your background. So, like, can you remember what your first photo shoot was? My first professional shoot or my yes, first Yes, first professional shoot. shoot. My first professional shoot was working for the Army. It was actually working for an advertising agency. Oh, and maybe it wasn't now. Maybe my first one was a wedding. But I'll tell you about the other one because that was much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the the wedding was interesting where I was told, oh, we don't want any formal photos. We just want you to take some candids, which Uh. is exactly what I did. And then the first thing that happened was the parents of the bride and groom were really upset because I didn't do any of the formal photos that they expected. And so I I learned that just because a client tells you they want something doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you should give them because sometimes they don't ask for what they really want. But that's a a by the Good. No, that's good advice. That's excellent advice. When they say just just shoot candids, always you've always got to do the uh, the, the 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 setup shot of the bride yep. and groom that goes on the television. Oh, well, it doesn't sit on top of the television anymore, but it goes on the <laughs> wall for for mum and dad, isn't it? Really, hundred percent. And that, yep. that's where I mean that sort of thing comes, I guess, mostly from experience. But then I figure if I'd spoken to any of my friends that I have now who shoot weddings, that would be the first thing they told me: don't listen to the bride and groom when it comes to that always get those uh, family shots because they're just it's more a matter of recording family history than than anything else exactly so, so yeah first my first shoot and um yeah by the time i finish this we'll have to say goodbye but anyway it was, <laughs> it, was, it was an advertising agency that was doing a pitch to get a job so it wasn't a really difficult job and i was i don't know 19 or something and i had to go and photograph different aspects of the army reserves and um, i was in a, a helicopter off uh, sydney off middlehead and they put me in it was a big helicopter and there are two seats down the back sideways so you're looking sideways out of the chopper right and i was in and they uh, they pick up all of these uh, troops and they'd go around and they the troopers would um repel they jump off ropes and uh, down to the ground and then the chopper would go off and get another lot and that was an 
awful lot of fun. And I, I'm in the back of the chopper and we're going to pick up some more um, more uh, reservists. And all of a sudden, the helicopter just goes 90 degrees on the side as it does a really steep bank around. And I'm looking <laughs> straight down at the rocks and the ocean down below. My, um, my whole body weight is in the straps of my my, my, um, my cameras are hanging down and I've got my headphones on and I hear the co-pilot say to the pilot, hey, uh, Jim, uh, hey, haven't we still got that photographer on board? And then Jim goes, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. And then slowly the helicopter goes from 90 degrees back to flat. And, you know, I, I, I think that they were really, they knew exactly what they were doing. And uh, But it just makes such a good story anyway. So uh, that, oh my that was my introduction. Uh, advertising photography. And I thought, oh, I got to do this. This is this is a lot of fun. But I was never very good at advertising photography because until later in my life, I never had enough confidence to deal with the people who were hiring me. I mean, I got this job because it was uh, someone who I'd grown up with, and um, <clears throat> we knew each other, and so he gave me the job because I was a photographer and he was an art director. But if you didn't know people. I, I don't know what your experience is, but I find a lot of art directors are actually quite insecure. Mm. And I misunderstood insecurity for aloofness and knowing exactly what they wanted. And so I, I now look back on my time and I think if I had been a little bit more self-assured, a little bit more confident, I could have directed those people and maybe got a lot more work. And uh, not that I'm complaining, but no. I, just, I, I just figure that sometimes we assume the people that we're dealing with really have their shit together and that's not always the case. I think there's a real knack in working with clients and uh, it, 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 it's sort of that fine balancing act between like sometimes you just want to go, no, no, let me tell you how, how this should be done, but they don't like that. It's like being able to work with them and give them what they want but also uh, give them what what they need as well. It's, you a, know. it's a balance, isn't it? It, it is. And, it's a fine balance and I think that's a learning curve as you um, progress through your career and develop more confidence in your own style uh, and and in knowing you know what what is needed rather than what they're suggesting you should do and it's easy to get railroaded by the client into like like you said with the the wedding photography we just want candidates yeah yeah and and then that gets you into trouble at the end so um you didn't really enjoy the advertising work, but you you did do it. Oh no, uh, I loved I loved the advertising work, and and later on in life, I did a little bit more advertising work here and there. I, I, I'm lucky in that because of the way I've structured my businesses, I'm able to cherry pick to a certain extent. And um, you know, I, I I mean, as you know, I'm also uh, an accountant, I, yeah. I, and I still look so after handy. clients, and I, I really enjoy that side of it. But the story I tell is that um, I was doing a job for Panasonic in Japan, and um, I, I should say Panasonic Japan, and I, the shoot was out here in Australia, and I, I had two Japanese art directors we also had an interpreter because they didn't speak much English, and that was a challenge. Yeah. And I had the production, um, you know, the production trucks. So I had a, a couple of producers and, you know, gaffers, lighters, lighting rig, all that sort of stuff. Then I had, you know, eight, nine, ten models, etc. <laughs> I had my assistant, and we had storyboards for beautiful Bluebird days because they were coming to Sydney, one yeah. because the dollar was pretty good in those days, yeah. and, you know, it was so, so it was cheap. And they wanted all these beautiful blue skies. And we had one of the wettest weeks Sydney oh. has ever had. Um, the weather day that we had was eaten up on the first day 
And <clears throat> I'm, I'm just, yeah, at the time my wife was in hospital. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old and um, managing all of that sort of stuff. And at the end of the week, I got to it and I said, you know, I'm over this advertising photography. I just want to sit down and do a tax return. <laughs> you mean, do you want to do my tax returns? <laughs> I only thought that for about five seconds and then yeah. I changed my mind. But it was just such a, you know, it was a looking back on it, it was an awful lot of fun. But, uh, you know, at the time when you're in it, um, as, as you would well know, it can be incredibly stressful. <laughs> yeah, so, so when you say the, the weather day, just go back and um, what does that mean uh, well, when you when, have a weather day? So when, when well, depending on, you know, we all do it slightly differently mm. and every job's a little bit different, but they were out for a period of time. We had eight days. Yep. And we had seven days' worth of shooting. But yep. you don't know what the weather's going to do, mm. so you always add in another day just in case the weather is really bad when and check. you need to reschedule. Yep. And so that's just a standard thing that you do, well, as you would know, advertising yes. films the same. It's a beautiful uh, thing in the advertising industry that when you have the weather check day and you're booked, uh, I think the first day is no charge. The second day, 50%, and the third day that you're cancelled on a weather check day is uh, full full pay. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had some rainy days where I've sat there and I'm like, I'm being paid to sit here now in my office. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's harder to get those these not, days. It's not, I want to find yeah. your clients then, Jane. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> There's some nice ones. So from from there, like you, you're best known uh, in the industry for your landscape and portrait work, and also your um, uh, ed- editorial stuff that you do. Um, with your your travel work, what would be like? And I know you're going to say the next thing I shoot, but like. Maybe if you can, what's the the the, the favourite country that you've travelled to, or the most memorable location? Is there something that like you just arrived and it was beyond all your expectations? It stopped you in your tracks. There must be one that that you've had that there, that no, sort of I, experience. I get asked this for. question all the time, and there isn't one. Really, um, I mean, I, I really, I think, I think what makes someone like you or me so passionate about photography is that we're not single eyed. Mm-hmm. We're you know, everything becomes interesting. I know I was down in Antarctica for a period and then I came off that job and I went straight to the Pilbara in Western Australia. So I went from, you know, minus 20 degrees to plus 45 degrees. And people said to me, you know, which do you prefer? And it's not a matter of having a preference because they're just both such amazing locations. And when you're in Antarctica, you're not thinking about the Red Desert and vice versa. You're just responding to where you are. I mean, this year's been a great year for me in that, you know, I started off doing America's Southwest, which was fantastic. Um, I then went to Georgia and Armenia. We are just, you know, which is you know, really quite interesting locations. Then dropped down to Iran later on, which was fascinating. Um, then over to New Zealand, back to one of our favourite places on Earth called Middle Middlehurst. Yes. It's a bit like Middle Earth, but yeah. Middlehurst from the north end of the South Island. Um, a couple of other places I forget now, but it's been a, um, Arnhem Land up in the north of Australia. And every time you drop into these places, the what you're shooting is just so different. I mean, mm. in Georgia, Armenia, certainly in Iran, it's very much about people, about culture. But then when you get to Arnhem Land or Middlehurst, you know, it's very much about the landscape, you know, getting up in planes and helicopters, shooting patterns or just shooting these 
epic locations. I mean, we had fresh snow over Middlehurst and just the patterns that the snow made on the shadow side of the mountain because on the sunny side it was warmer and so the snow had melted away but on the shadow side it's still there and it's it's white and it's you know it's ethereal it's luminescent i've got a few of those well there's a, currently there's a photo of uh, on, on the front page of my petereastway.com website and uh, you know that, that gives you an idea of uh, I, to me it just epitomized what a beautiful landscape can look like when shot from the air, just just one of those. You know, I've been there four times. And is that, one is time that the image with the uh, the golden? Uh, it's blue and golden tone. The mountains, yeah, 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 uh, it's, yeah that's yeah. incredible, uh, an amazing image. So that's uh, petereastway dot com uh, for those guys listening. So maybe uh, I'd stop the uh, podcast now and just go and have a look at Peter's work and then continue listening because it's uh, it's well worth it. It's uh, beautiful. Um, so. Like I can tell by your voice that you're still like so passionate about what you do and you love. Like there, there, must be some people who, after all the travel and being to to all these locations, would start to get a bit jaded. I don't get that sense with you. I just feel the excitement about like you know what what's the next place you're going to go to. What what was it like when you got to Antarctica and you're standing um in amongst all those. I think there's hundreds of thousands of penguins there. That, like it looked like that. Yep, what does yep, that feel yep. like? Because that was Smelly. enough for me to say I want. I I, I so badly <laughs> want to go on that uh, Antarctic <laughs> workshop that you're you, you, you've got happening. Is that next year? The it's uh, yeah, what, what yes, month I've, is I've it? Going, in, going back down at the end of 2018. So it, December. December 2018. Back right. in time for Christmas. Yep. Oh, it just looks about, yeah. So, what is that like standing in amongst all those pink? Because you were well, like, it's, they're it's all actually, over you practically. They're that it, close. It, it's, it, it's actually very smelly. Uh, they smell like what? <laughs> fish? Yep, it smells of fish. It's funny that one of the first times I walked on South Georgia, uh, this is, I think you're talking about Salisbury Plain, where yeah. there are a quarter of a million king penguins. A quarter all of just a million? Oh my God. And it's, 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 it's very noisy, it's very smelly, and, and, and none of that worries you. No. I, I can remember when I went uh, the first time, um, David McGonigal, who's uh, you know, a very well known photographer and uh, writer, uh, on all things travel, but an expert in Antarctica, and he, I think it was he anyway, I'll say it was he, he said, you know, when you go on to South Georgia, just remember it's all snow and ice and there's there's no dirt. And, of right. course, you get out there and you're in Wellington boots because that helps you get in and out of the Zodiac because yeah. the waves that's, are washing, et cetera. So, so the your, Zodiac's that little, um, it's like a rubber dinghy, isn't it? Yep, yep. yep that's right. And so you, you jump out of that into the water. Hopefully it's, there aren't too big a wave because if the waves come through, they can fill up your Wellington boots from the top <laughs> if you're not careful. And so you're wandering along and, of course, you're going squelch, squelch, squelch through <laughs> all this brown, blackish stuff. And you remember there's no dirt on South Georgia. Well, of course, that's not quite true, but you do know that most of that dirt is um, the, the, the remains of uh, well, the, the passing throughs of penguins. I can oh, remember- so you'd, you'd knee-deep in penguin poo? Well, not necessarily glamorous, but it, it's certainly yeah, getting that way. I can remember I slipped over on one a day, once and um, I just slipped over, and I had um, my tripod in one hand, and my other hand was sort of free, and I had a, a camera around my neck and a backpack on, and I just landed on my back, and both hands are in this black, brown, gooey stuff, and when I got up. I try to wipe the gooey stuff off with my my left hand using my right hand, 
but I would just be putting as much back on. <laughs> and I just thought, how am I going to get out of this? And a lady who was just walking past and was having a little bit of a snigger, she said, I've got a couple of wet ones if you'd like. <laughs> and I said, that'd be great. She said, $50 each. Yeah, it's good on And her. I happily paid. I had no other way out of it. It was just, uh, so, uh, but look, I, I'm sort of painting a rather dark um, uh, scene. It, it's not at all like that because uh, I think uh, what the best advice again from David was that, you know, he said, when you're there, put your camera down. Just put the camera down and just sit there and be there and just take it all in. And, you know, you can sit down on those rocks that you're talking about where near all the penguins. You're not allowed to go within five metres of the wildlife, mm. but it doesn't mean the penguins can't come within five metres of you. And often I'd just sit down and I'd wait. And they're, they're inquisitive and they just walk right up to you and, you know, you, you could reach out and, and pat them if you uh, wanted to. Of course, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. And I never did. But it's just, you know, it's just an incredible experience. And so, yeah, if you're lucky enough to get to go down to Antarctica, it, it's it's certainly a bucket list thing. But uh, don't don't leave it too late. It's uh, yeah, it certainly is changing all the time. But hey, it might change into something even better. Who yeah, knows? amazing. So all right. So when you're going to all these ex- and they are exotic, like I don't see any images of you in in the heart of Florence or something like that. That would probably do your head in. Or do you like the oh the no. Yeah, it's funny. On, on my website, there is a a, a, um, a portfolio. I think it's called Italian Dreaming. Or I something. know. I was drooling and, all over it. And you know, I I, I mean, I, I haven't been back to Italy, but now that the kids are sort of getting a little bit older, I mean, that's something that my my wife Kathy and I are definitely going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we you know, when the when my daughters were very young, we went over to Italy for two months. And um, a lot of my friends said, why the hell are you going over there with the family? It'll cost you a fortune and the kids will never remember it. And I said, to hell with the kids. Kathy and I will remember it. I mean, yeah. that's, and that's what it was all about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just you know, so much fun, you know, just, you know, coffee shop, yeah. uh, having a gelato and then taking a couple of great photos. And I just love that side of, yeah. of travel photography. I, I love Europe in winter. Yeah. In summer it is just so busy that it makes it a little bit hard to – to do anything other than a full-on tourist sort of um, yeah. response, and maybe that's just another way of thinking. But in winter, you know, you can go places where you don't see tourists, and you get that—I suppose—that lonely feeling, that romantic lonely feeling that I, I associate with Europe. You should uh, get down to Sicily, Peter. You'd love it because you can go there in the uh, you know peak season, and you'll still have like an entire village to yourself. There's no. Am tourists. I going to come back? Am I? I'm all right. I, I always got told the mafia would get to you. You go there. You tell them you know me. You'll be fine. You'll be, be fine. Right. Oh yeah, I've got connections. Don't you worry. I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> but, but no, and I've heard. I haven't got very far south in Italy. I've been to Italy many times, but I haven't got much further south than uh, Ravenna, I think it is, mm-hmm. which is um, yeah, just a couple of hours south of, uh, and I probably pronounced it incorrectly too, a couple of uh, hours south of Rome. But uh, I've got to get down to the the, the, the shoe. That's no, what I, I've got. The, I, the boot. 
I, I can't pronounce any of the, uh, you know, even though my family's Italian, I, I speak Italian like a bogan, so I don't know either. And then when I'm over there, they're all like, um, I'm speaking Italian with a very thick Australian accent. And they're like, yeah. what language are you speaking now? I'm like, I'm speaking Italian. They're like, we don't understand you. Um, <laughs> non parlo Italiano. Non parlo Italiano. You said that very well. When, when, so back to my question, when you get to these locations, what are you doing? What is your protocol for scouting locations? So obviously you must do some research first or is it just, you're not just putting a pin in the map and going, all right, I'm going to go to Iran and uh, just find what I find. How do you know, how do you determine where to go, what will be the best locations, how to find the best light? What's your protocol for doing that when you do your uh, beautiful location shots? Well, it, it, look, it, it depends. Like, for instance, when I went to Iran, I went with Nuran Zorlu, who's a, a photographer friend of mine. He's an advertising commercial photographer up here in Sydney, and he's of Armenian heritage and loves history. And so he put together an itinerary. So I didn't really have to think too hard because he had already been there and worked out where we're going to go. So it's, it's similarly uh, when we did our... Um, uh, well, well, when I did the south of um, southwest of America, I'd been to most of the, the national parks, etc. And so I put together an itinerary. So I knew that if we went to these places, there are going to be things of interest to photograph. Mm. So there's there's two ways of looking at travel photography, though. I mean, if I'm going and doing a job, you know, commercially, like uh, well, it doesn't always follow. I did a, a job for Qantas a couple of years ago where they flew me to Chile, um, and uh, I did Patagonia, the Atacama Desert, and Easter Island. And it was again a wonderful brief that that I got from uh, Susan Skelly, who was the uh, editor of the uh, of the In Flight magazine at that stage. And she just said, "I just want you to come back with your impressions." Of, of Chile, some some wonderful landscapes, and you sort of think, well, that that's great. So, you've got the locations. All you've got to really do is respond to what is there. Yeah. And so, that when it comes to travel, you know, do you research the hell out of a location and mark out your itinerary so you know where you're going to be for every five minutes of the day? Yeah. Um, or do you go to a place and you go in with your eyes open and just respond? to what you find. And I, I think there's a little bit of both. I yep. think that it would be terrible to go to a location and not know anything about it and to come back and find out that 50 yards to the left of where you were was this the most amazing location and you didn't even know it was there. So I think that's that's not a good way to go. I think you need to have a rough understanding of what's available. But then you need to go in with, I guess, fresh eyes because I think that's what makes travel so exciting is that yeah. it's new to us. I mean, I've got friends who have come over to Sydney here and they say, wow, Pete, you live in the most beautiful part of Australia. Why don't you take more photographs of it? And I say, because it's boring. <laughs> I, I, I say that, but it's not. I, I love where I live and it is incredibly beautiful, but we don't see it because – it's, it's there all it's the time. It's in our face, yes. Yeah, and, and and so and I think though that when you've when you're going to a location, it's just to take photographs, which is you know whether it's a job or a workshop. I mean, most of my travel these days is more with photography workshops. Um, it's it, it's you just immerse yourself in that location, and that's why I don't find one place is better than another. I find 
that if you are curious about life, if you've got an interest in what's in front of you, and if I suppose you've got something to do, and when I, when I say that, I mean, I, when I go to a location, I've always got a camera with me, or if I haven't got a camera with me, I've got a rectangular frame in front of my face because I'm always thinking about photographs. And that's a great excuse to go anywhere. And when you're going there with that curiosity, with that passion, with that interest, you're wanting to take photographs to add to, I suppose I'm a collector. I'm collecting photos that I think are good um, and the other ones just stay on a hard drive. You've got that that process involved um, in, in your subconscious. And so you're, you're going to a location and it just becomes wonderful, wonderfully exciting and interesting. And those one, two, three weeks while you're away, they just they just fly past because you're always looking forward to the next new new, new location. I love that. I love that you you. It's that curiosity and uh, you know it's almost like a childlike wonder of, of of the world around you, and like you're always allowing for the shot to just happen that like you'll see it It, it's always like I I mean I've gone and planned a a photo shoot and then looked to the side and gone oh wow look at this over here and you can be so tunnel vision that you like a lot of photographers might miss what's off to the side or down that down that other lane or like a block away from where everyone else is so it's just like have that that sense of wonder Uh, but like when you're out on a shoot, like on a landscape shoot, are there essential gadgets like you talk about the Wellington boots if you're going to be wading through pelican poo? Uh, what are some other gadgets that you uh, use that are essential to your landscape photography, even like simple ones that we may, may not think of? Well, I suppose, well, landscape is different to maybe travel and people. Yep. So uh, although – I, I, you know, when you're doing travel, it's sometimes, you know, there are times when you're shooting the landscape, yep. so, sometimes when you're, you're shooting people. I mean, I I always travel with a tripod and that yep. sounds a little bit odd, but I've got a, I a really a really right stuff carbon fibre, which is pretty light. It's also... How much does that uh, weigh, Peter? Well, I, I couldn't with tell you. With the head on it. With, yeah. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. When, when I add, I've got a, an Arca Swiss... Oh, right, Jesus. And that's a big, heavy cube, and it sort of defeats the purpose of having a lightweight tripod. I've had the same issue. (laughs) But you need need, I mean, the tripod's got um, spikes on the bottom so that, you know, I can really jam it into the earth because I I do um, quite a lot of, you know, long exposure work out in the landscape. And so when you think about it, your camera only has to move half a pixel when you're blurring Mm. the shot. So you need that camera to be very, very stable. Now, I, I shoot with phase one. I use uh, an XF 100 megapixel or the, the A-series 100 megapixel. And so it's very, very high quality. And if there is a little bit of movement, I can still get a good photo out of it and post it on Instagram because by the time you've downsized 100 megapixels to 1,000 pixels or whatever it is for um, Instagram, it, it, yeah, you, you, you won't see a little bit of blur. But if you're making a big one, two-meter print, you can't make any errors in your capture. And so I suppose what I see with a lot of people that are new to photography is that they they might have learnt all of the basics, but those basics haven't become part and parcel of them. So that you ask me, what do I take? Every landscape shot I'm taking 
has got the tripod set up. Yep. And they think, why are you setting up a tripod all the time? You know, David Oliver, a great friend of mine, um, he shoots landscapes quite differently. He uses a DSLR and he shoots from the hip and he just uses a fast shutter speed. Wow. He's got a completely different style yep. for shooting landscape. And that's fine. Uh, but my ideal is that big, perfect photograph where everything from the foreground to the background is sharp if you want it to be sharp and you know you know when you go to a photography exhibition you know who the photographers are because they're the ones that walk up to the print and look at it from around about you know 10 centimeters away so I, i i'm one of those too because i i like the fact that as you get closer more and more of the image, more and more of the structure is revealed. Whereas there's nothing more dissatisfying than looking at a great photograph from the other side of the gallery, and as you get close, you realise that it's a bit blurred or not quite focused, or not enough pixels, not enough resolution. You think, oh, it's disappointing. (laughs) It's disappointing. What a loss of an opportunity. And so that's, I suppose, like I come back to uh, you know your question before when you go out there and you're you're travelling, um, you know what what do you do? What why are you interested? Um, what are you shooting? I've always got at the back of my mind, I suppose, my style of what I'm trying to do, and that is the ultimate quality in terms of exposure and sharpness. But it doesn't mean that when I post produce that I need to keep that sharpness or exposure. I just want to capture those pixels. So when I'm out taking photos, I'm really just capturing, you know, if I shoot a landscape um, and it's a a hero shot, I will focus stack and exposure bracket. Um, Camera's locked off on the tripod. That's the reason that you need the tripod. I focus close, so I've got everything close to my feet, sharp. I focus on infinity, and then I underexpose so that the sky's got the correct exposure as well. Now, Now I've got information in all of those, you know, every pixel, I've got enough information to create that perfect photograph. And I can create that beautiful chocolate box shot. And then, of course, you then take it, well, everybody is taking the chocolate box shot. So then you need to take it a step further and say, okay, what is it that makes those photographs uniquely yours? What is your style? And that is where my post-production comes in. And obviously, there's a certain amount of interpretation that I'm doing to the file before I present it to the world as uh, something that I that I'm happy with, it's interesting. I, I on my Instagram feed, I put down the bottom preliminary edit. When um, yeah. I, I, I've been because because I do instruct about Photoshop because um, people say they find my technique is good or appropriate or whatever. I used to just you know be away and then I'd post a photograph. And I'd get half a dozen comments from people saying, oh, Pete, that's not up to your usual standard. Oh, my God. Dark in the sky or why didn't you lighten the face? And I think, oh, geez, you know. But then I realised I should take that as a compliment in that people, you know, they have high expectations of what I produce. So I now write down preliminary edit just to say, hey, this is just a quick and cheerful just to show you where I've been. It's not my final work as yet. Yeah, that's good. Um that's good to know. Uh, when you're talking about the, the um, hundred megapixel camera that you, you know, we're not we're not all able to have a like a sixty five thousand dollar plus camera. But just so we can talk about, just to geek out a little bit on what you can get when you're shooting with a a hundred megapixel megapixel camera what are you getting what sort of level of detail and then when you're printing uh what sort of um dpi you are you uh 
printing that at so that like how much detail and tonal range what 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 just just quickly what, what do you get for that sort well, of uh, well investment? It's, it's interesting I, I mean i i i just i don't know whether i'm going to answer quite i'll be a bit of a politician and give you the answer i want to give you uh, i i mean i shoot with uh canon dslrs yeah. i shoot with the fuji i've got the x pro 2 for instance oh nice and then i've got the uh the phase outfit so it's like the old days when you and I started off. You know, you'd shoot with 35mm, yeah. medium format and large format, and that's that's the same for me today. And um, I, I might travel with just my Canon outfit or I might travel with just the Phase outfit, but often with the Phase, I'll have the Fuji just in on the side for doing the grab shots and things like that. Yeah. So that that's 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 one answer, and you don't need to be an equipment snob. I, I am fortunate in that, you know, I've got – you know the best equipment that you can get out there in the market at the moment and you know being able to use that I'm always grateful because I can remember when I started off and you know I used to you know I used to aspire to having a professional DSLR yeah. of course uh, you know but so, so I understand where uh, a lot of listeners might be coming from well, well the well, listeners you, are I, lucky in this in this era if you own a 35 mil DSLR that was produced in the last few years you've got a camera that is uh still better producing better quality images than say a medium format camera like that we like, were like, using 20 years ago right yeah well not even that i mean i i can remember let, let's say 2002 2005 sinar came out with a 20 megapixel back mm. i don't know if you remember mm. and i I went down and I, I looked at the exact – they had a big Mac screen, you know, the biggest screen that they had at the time, and you just kept on enlarging this image and the detail just kept coming and coming. And I just looked at it and I said, whatever I do at some stage, I've got to be able to afford a 20 megapixel back. And now you can't buy a camera that's got less no. than 20 megapixels. So, yeah, that, that's exactly right. So in, ter uh, in, in terms of – Pixel envy or camera envy, nobody really needs to have it because the gear that we've got is just so amazing. Exactly. But if you want to have a bit of pixel envy, why do you shoot with medium format? So there are a whole lot of things there. 100 megapixels is useful, but mainly just to make big prints. So yeah. if you're not going to make huge prints, it's not essential. What is really great about medium format, what I think people don't understand about medium format, is the dynamic range that you get. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to set your exposure, generally speaking, we don't want to clip the highlights. We don't want to overexpose the light tone. So yep. in a landscape, you want to make sure there's detail in those white puffy clouds because mm -hmm. that's normally the lightest part of the scene. Mm -hmm. So if you set your exposure on the clouds, then what happens to your shadows? And in the smaller cameras, you know, if you look at an iPhone, for instance, you know, your shadows all block up. Yep. On a DSLR, your shadows start to block up. Yep. But on medium format, you've got lots and lots of information in those shadows. But more importantly, you've got good quality information. With a DSLR, as you lighten up those shadows, you can lighten them up, but you get a little bit of noise yep. or the colors go a little bit crinkly or whatever. Medium format, that doesn't happen. And so sometimes my exposure technique, which I apply to medium format, which is often underexposing by, you know, maybe a, a third, two thirds of a stop because I'm paranoid about clipping my highlights. Yeah. But yeah, I can I, I can do that without any problems because I know I've got the I've got the detail in the shadows. Whereas when I move to my my Canon or my Fuji, as great as those cameras are, they don't have the same shadow detail that yeah. I get out of the phase. 
I'd love to have a play around with a medium format um, with portraits and expose for the highlights, which I, I do that a lot anyway with my portraits. Uh, if I'm out and about and I'm too lazy to pull out uh, lighting, uh, I'll expose for the highlights and then bring back the shadows. There's a lot you can do, but I'd love to see a comparison of uh, j- just how much more detail you can pull out of a, a medium format image compared to that of a of a DSLR. That'd be that'd be really cool. Um, just on uh, your post-processing, when you're editing your images, uh, what, what's uh, what's your workflow? Are you using Capture One, using Lightroom? I know you use Photoshop as as the the final, obviously, when you're comping images. But what's your starting point? Is Capture One, you know, Lightroom, something else? Yeah, it, it, it's it's Capture One. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, I, I used to tell people go with Lightroom because yep. if you're new to photography, there are a lot of people that can show you how to use Lightroom. Yep. There were far fewer people who could show you how to use Capture One. And then people would come back to me and they say, you know, I'm using Lightroom, but I'm still not getting my color and contrast mm. the same way you are. And I sort of thought, okay, because, you know, surely a raw processor is a raw processor, but mm. that's not the case. And what my challenge is to all of your listeners is you can, you know, if, if you're using Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, which is out of Photoshop. It's the same basic engine. Yeah. Download Capture One from Phase One's website, and you can get a you know fourteen day free trial or whatever it is. I think it's thirty. Thirty days. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and then open up both programs on your screen: Lightroom on the left, Capture One on the right, and then open up the same raw file. Now make adjustments to one and then the other. So open it up in Lightroom. Get the exposure right. Open it up and capture one. Get the exposure right. And you'll probably find they're looking a bit the same. Then go and try to adjust your colors. Maybe get the greens to look exactly right. You can get the greens to be the same in capture one. Uh Uh-oh, now have a look at the blues and the yellows. They're different in capture one than they are in Lightroom. Okay, Mm. let's see if we can make them the same. So as you change the yellows in Lightroom to get them the same as Capture One. Oh, now the greens aren't the same. So they're actually using two different recipes. Now, years ago, I was involved to a small extent in the development of Lightroom 2, where they invited photographers from around the world to meet with some of the programmers and designers. We all went down to Tasmania for a a week, and we just worked together. And um, it was a great, great experience because, you know, we got access to the actual people who are programming the software. And they're as keen as mustard to make sure that they've got an amazing product. And I look at the way Lightroom is developed. It is absolutely an amazing piece of software and only accolades for it. The same thing's happening over the other side of the world in Denmark, Capture One, and their process, their, their aim is to knock off Lightroom because they don't have nearly the same number of people that are that, as Adobe does. But what they have done is they've approached the colour and the processing just from a slightly different point of view. Don't ask me why. It's like two chefs. Give them the same recipe, the two meals will taste different. And I like the taste of Capture One. I find it's got better contrast, better colour. There's a sparkle to the image, whereas when I'm looking through Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, it's like looking through a dirty windscreen in comparison. Interesting. When I talk to friends who are portrait photographers, they say they prefer Lightroom to capture one. And that's possibly because doing family portraiture or um, weddings, maybe that softness 
is better in keeping for, you know, making all of the, the, the mothers of the brides look absolutely wonderful and that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's why. I mean, you know, that's a question for you perhaps. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're in certainly in advertising and landscape, et cetera, mm. you know, Capture One certainly just gives you what well, gives me a, a, an advantage. And, mm. you know, raw processes really have developed. And so whereas I used to just do a quick process, you know, basically just turned a raw file into something that I could work with in Photoshop, I now find I'm doing a lot more work in Capture One so that there is less work to do in Photoshop afterwards. Well, there's certainly, um, like, when I started using Capture One because it was the best way to import images tethered, and I think it's mm. still superior to any of the other uh, um, raw processes out there. It's faster. Lightroom if you're shooting portraits and tethered, but Lightroom, forget it. It just takes yeah. forever. So that's why I use Capture One. And then the editing process, actually tagging images, uh, yes. I find it quicker in Capture One. So I find it superior. And uh, workflow uh, is superior, but I also find that that, uh, it, that there is a lot more you can do uh, in Lightroom when you when you're working with portraits in terms of um, applying the uh, the edit like, like edit one image and then apply it to fifty. So if you want a, a faster workflow at the, in in that part, it, I think Lightroom is. Uh, Superior to uh, Capture One oh, at this yes, stage, oh, and, well, and the, I'll have to have a chat about that because I would have thought that it was quicker to do that in Light in, in Capture One than Lightroom. No, I always get a bit confused in Lightroom when I have to do that. But no, there you go. Well, I think it's what you're used to. But the other thing yeah. that I I don't like about Capture One, and I pray that they change this, is just the like the uh, the the history state being able to go back yes, and forth. Yes. I can't get my that that really frustrates me, and if that they change that one little thing, yeah, that would I, be I, a golden. Um, I, I don't think that's. I think that's got something to do with IP. Right. And what what is interesting, and I'm probably talking out of school a little bit though, though that my understanding is that Adobe and Capture One have done a little bit of technology swapping, mm. um, and my understanding is that a little bit of color know-how went from Phase One to Adobe, and the ability to use. Um, layers or adjustment brush went from Adobe to Capture One because in Capture One they've yep. got the the effect of yeah, adjustment layers in there um, and that was something they had to get permission from Adobe to use. So you know, behind the scenes there is a little bit of technology being interchanged between those two companies. So that's why you know they are both, we're just so lucky to have those two uh, companies producing software for us. Yeah, I'd lo I'd love to see them all just merge together and create one super no, raw. No, 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 you need that competition to make because they yeah that's what pushes them to make make it better and better. I reckon. I, yeah. I think competition's good. So when you're editing a, a, an image, like typically, it's not like you're doing thousands in or your or your batch processing. So you're editing one image, and you probably will spend uh, a, a bit of time on it. How how long typically do you spend on an image? And I know it would vary from image to image, but typically, what sort of your what your workflow from uh, when you're um, out on the field, getting back to say your hotel room or back to your office? What what's your workflow in terms of uh, how are you protecting your files, and then and then naming protocol, and uh, and and then editing and output? What like just quickly? What <laughs> yeah. in a nutshell? Well, I, I, I shoot with Sandisk cards, and yeah. I'm a Sandisk Extreme team member. Are you or a big like card that. person, or you are smaller and spread the load? 
Well, I, I, I'm yeah, I'm a bigger card reader, but what? Yeah, so I'm using 64s and 128s. That's basically what I'm using at the moment. Are you filling and, them up um, on the like? Sorry, will you fill that that card or like, no, no? No. So my so at the end of the day, um, I will go back to my hotel room or whatever. I travel with a Wacom Mobile Studio Pro, and I will download the day's shoot. Um, I have a session set up in Capture One, which is a bit like a catalogue, and for each day, or there might be two or three in a day, I'll, I'll have separate folders or separate categories for, for each of those shoots. So it might be you know, day one, I'm in Antarctica, day two, I'm in Iran, whatever it is, and I'll download all of the photos and I give them a, a, a name and a number. And so the name will be Antarctica. It'll be naught to 400. The next day will be Iran. I obviously can't fly that fast. I'll say South Georgia. Mm. And that would be South Georgia. And it'll be 401 to 852 or whatever it is. Yeah. So the shoot has got a numerical number that goes through. And then there's a descriptor. And they're all in folders. I then will process that evening if I've got time um, just quickly. And so I'll just have a quick review because I want to know one that – I've got the, the photos. Yeah. Um, do I need to reshoot? Not that that's always possible. If there's a problem, I need to know about it. But more than anything else, I'm just interested in what yeah. I've got. And I'll quickly pick the photos and then I'll spend 20 seconds, 30 seconds on ones that I like and process them out um, as JPEGs. And they go into a little folder on my laptop, which I can then sync with my iPhone or my iPad. Yeah. And so by the time I get back from a trip, um, I will have 50, 100, 300 photographs that have been preliminary edited yeah. <laughs> using Capture One alone. So by the time I get back from a shoot, I, I really have an edit already done so that if somebody needs photographs quickly, I can basically go to those photos that have been processed already and then I can take them into Photoshop to take them further. Now, it's interesting you ask how long I spend because the answer's too long. <clears throat> when I'm working, you know, I suppose, well, when, when I did that, that Qantas job, I, they needed 18 photographs, I suppose, each, and, and they wanted final stuff. There was probably 18 hours of post-production. So there's no way in the world I got paid enough for doing that but it was a matter of if you take the job on yeah. and your photos are going to be in a magazine seen by a lot of people, I don't want to put out stuff that I'm not happy with. So it's an hour per image? An hour per image. Yeah. But recently um, I did a, I've done a little book on my photos from Iran and I basically gave myself five minutes per photo to edit them. Wow. And, you know, it's as far, you know, so it, they're not perfect but, most people aren't going to pick up the slight differences, and if they go, if it was going to become an exhibition or something like that, well, then I would have to go back in, and it's going to take me longer to post-produce. But you know, a lot of these little adjustments are things that make me happy, yeah. and the average person is never going to see. Yeah. So it's just a matter of why do you do it? And so when it's when it comes to a client, then there's this money versus effort equation that comes into everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah, good answer. Um, I, I think it's worth putting that. Like, I, I love editing my images. I, I love working on them, and I think I'll always do more than I'm expected. But that's just for me, so that like I'm happier, like as you say, for the same reason. Um, so, uh, with your images, um, uh, 
in 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 your the, the years that you've been in the industry, like you've also uh, been editing uh, a, a number of photo magazines, right? That's right. Over yeah. the years, yep. yeah, yeah. So you like when you're teaching, you must have learnt a lot. What what do you think have been the the like one of the greatest lessons you've learnt from like editing magazines and seeing other photographers work like constantly? But like what what have you learnt? What would be one thing that you would you, you could pass on to us that like as a for a newbie starting out to, that they need to maybe think about. <laughs> Well, I'll give you two, if I may. Sure. One, one to do with business and the other to do with aesthetics. Yep. The first one is with business. And because I have an accounting background, and I used to meet a lot of you know, interview and um, meet a lot of very famous photographers and obviously successful because that's how I came to hear about them. And, you know, I would quiz them a little bit and I would often ask them whether they had a business plan and nine out of ten of the successful photographers I've met have been very focused very driven they would have hundreds of business plans they would have you know they plan everything down I just remember being I can't remember who told me it wasn't Annie Leibovitz but it was about Annie Leibovitz you know we've all heard about Annie Leibovitz why was that now, I mean, yeah, sure, she was the lead photographer for Rolling Stone and that would have got her known, et cetera, but she's known by absolutely everybody. And then someone told me, I forget who it was, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but it makes a good story. She had three PR people working for her for 20 years. Wow. That's why we know about her. A lot of other people that are very famous, you say, well, how much time do you spend promoting yourself in a week? And often you know, the answer would be two or three days a week are spent just in advertising myself. Yeah, voting myself, making sure I'm known. So a lot of people come into photography and think, oh, I've set up my studio, I've got my camera, when's the phone going to ring? Mm -hmm. And the answer is never. Do you know, Gina, I have been going down to Woolworths at Narrabeen <laughs> every Friday night and I've been hanging around in the freezer section because I'm waiting to be discovered by a Hollywood talent scout. <laughs> and it has never, ever happened. It doesn't matter how passionate I am about being discovered. It never is going to happen because I'm not bloody doing anything about it. I'm not planning my life. And that's the same for people who want to become successful professional photographers. It's tough out there at the moment. Yeah. But if, you're, if you know a little bit about business and you know, a lot of people learn about photography, a lot of photography courses teach you everything about photography and nothing about business. And for me, that is the greatest opportunity all of your listeners have because if you have a little bit of an interest in business, you are now ahead of 80% of the other photographers that are out there. And I guess that brings me on to the little segue to the second thing is that when we look back at all of the photographers who that we admire, all of the artists over the years that we admire, do you think that they got there by accident? A lot of people think, oh, I'm a photographer. I'm just creative. Um, I'm going to lead a bohemian bohemian lifestyle, you know, free love, um, free everything, and I'm just going to take beautiful work and be famous and all that sort of stuff. And I sort of think, oh, really? Um, yes, and I don't need to learn about my camera. Um, I've got an automatic and I've spent a lot of money for that, so I don't need to understand photography. I'm just going to create art. Meh! Doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Every artist, every photographer has been incredibly clinical, structured, and they've done a lot of research into their magic style that they have. A lot of people look at their photos and go, oh, wow, you're so artistic. No, 
They are structured. They are thinking photographers who understand the history of art, the history of photography. They understand their technique. And then once they've got all of that together, they've had the opportunity to synthesize all of that into something that is uniquely theirs, their style. You've got it. I think that I have it a little bit, you know, and that is because we've spent the time to create something that is ours. A lot of people go and get a an app or an action and they go, oh, here's my photo, press this button and now I've got a lot of a work of art. No, you haven't. You've got something that was created by a faceless person who is dealing with software and designing something. You haven't done anything other than press a button and be given something by somebody else. You want to become a photographer? Go and make that yourself. Nothing wrong with actions, nothing wrong with those plugins and presets, but once you've used them to get you a part of the way towards the end result, it's then up to you to take that photograph and to turn it into something that is yours, not somebody else's. Here endeth the lesson. I love that. I'd like, I totally agree with everything you said today. That That is so amazing. I, I could actually just keep talking to you for hours, uh, Peter. I think I'll definitely have to get you back because there was a lot of things I, I didn't get to go um, go into today. Uh, so much uh, great knowledge. Uh Tell us where where can people connect with you aside from uh, your website, which uh, petereastway.com. What's your uh, Instagram? And I know you have uh, some amazing um, uh, courses as well available. So if people really are serious about taking their uh, photography to the next level, what, what, what sort of things have you got on offer? Well, if they wanted to disappear, well, not disappear, run along to betterphotography.com. So that's betterphotography, spelt normally, .com. And that's my magazine, and that's where you'll find um, quite a few resources. There's a 50 free photo tips, my um, uh, photo atelier, where you sign up, and then once a week I send you a, a little tip about the basics of photography, which might be of interest. You can sign up for my newsletter there where I have a, a photo of the week or I call it a photo almost weekly because <laughs> there are a few weeks where I don't get around to doing it. And I, I send out little emails of things that are interested, etc. Workshops you can find there on the website. I have a landscape photography masterclass, which you can sign up to there. Also got a, a, a complete photo business package where there's a, a, um, some PDF documents on how to become a successful professional photographer, and it talks a lot about that sort of stuff as well. So uh, be delighted to see people there if they would like to drop on by. Peter Eastway for um, Instagram, and you'll find Peter Eastway and Peter Eastway's Better Photography magazine on Facebook. Awesome. I'll put all those links in the show notes. And, Peter, you may see me in Antarctica next year. I'm very, very tempted to – to. I, I want to step in penguin poo. I really do. I want to <laughs> yeah, have that. I want to know yeah. what it feels like to have penguin poo through my toes. I really do. <laughs> Just on the like, – how, how much um, gear do you have to wear? Because I'm, I'm like, I like – I was in Iceland last year. Year and uh, I managed to get the uh, the clothes right. I, I, I didn't freeze, but I imagine it might. I, I wasn't there in the depths of winter. How cold is it? And like, are you wearing long johns? Are you tucking your um, uh, you know, thermals into your undies? How are you keeping everything warm? How how does that work? 
Yeah, it, it's variable. Because you're on the coast, it doesn't actually get super, super cold. It might get down to you know, minus 10, minus 20 um, with wind chill, but normally the air temperature oh. itself might only be minus 5 to even plus 5. Um, you get used to it. The first day you walk out, you're freezing. By the end of it, you're not nearly so cold. And it's all a matter of uh, if you've got layers for yeah. your trip to Iceland, you'll, you'll be laughing. Yeah, I'm all um, set. Yeah, I, I make sure you've got a, you want an outer shell that keeps the wind out because yeah. – um, it's, it's interesting. You can go off the ship and it's glassy water as you, uh, you know, go on the Zodiac into shore. And then on the way back, the wind might have come up and uh, it can be very, very rocky on the way back. But the good thing is if you get wet, wet on the way back, it's just a qu- quick walk up the gangway and then you're into your, um, your cabin and a nice hot shower. So uh, that, that's part of fun. Even better when you can go down and nice, have a nice coffee in the lounge afterwards. I'm going to bring wet ones as well and sell them and I should be able to recoup my money. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, that's there you what, go. There's, there's a chance. I'm going to set up a little wet one stall. <laughs> um, I'm forward to having you along. <laughs> uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gina. Cheers. Wow, Peter Eastway, so cool. I mean, he's just look at his Instagram and it's just amazing. And his website, of course, is petereastway.com. I love how he talked about being surrounded by penguin shit in Antarctica. <laughs> I have to say I love penguins. Don't you think they're the cutest things ever? Although happy feet stressed me out to no end. Have you been to Antarctica to see the penguins? I want to go. I want to go. Mm. I'm like I'm tempted to go on um, Peter's workshop there at the end of 2018. I am so tempted. So mm. um, you can check out all of Peter's work at at, at, at his website, as, as you said, and uh, also uh, I've also put a link to a uh, editing tutorial that uh, Peter has. It shows you how he edits his uh, landscape images and if you haven't seen it and you do have access to Netflix, I would recommend that you check out Tales by Light featuring Peter Eastway and just have a look because that sight of him with the hundreds of thousands of penguins, I would love Mm. to do a portrait of someone, uh, a whole lot of people wearing tuxedos Mm. amongst penguins. Oh, yes, cute. That's what I would do. But, yeah, I want to I would just want to play with the penguins. They're so cute. Oh, they're so cute. Oh, my <laughs> God, I could like, watch them. What, they're so cute. What a dream job, though, just like travelling to mm. all these like remote and exotic locations and uh, that's what he does. So, yeah, um, thank you, Peter. That was uh, such a, a – he's so enthusiastic and passionate about about his work. I, I love that. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What have you got on in the coming week, Gina? Oh, my God. It's that time of the year, isn't it, Val? It's just like it spins and I kind of wish for like, you know, I wish I could – how much sleep do you need a night to function, to actually be normal and not be like, you know, bad Valerie? Um, I don't know. I've been getting more than I used to. Remember how I used to just go to bed at 3 or 4 a.m.? What what time Um, do you go to bed? Now I go to bed more like 1, so that's – or 1.30, and that's a lot earlier than 3 or 4. I've set an alarm on my uh, phone that tells Mm. me to go to bed. It's for midnight. Oh, yes. 
And I'm never anywhere near bed and it's kind of like, yeah, right, mm. it's not going to happen. But, yeah, I, 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 I reckon I need seven hours. Seven hours, yeah. Be, be okay. Yeah, yeah. And if I don't, I don't, I'm a fan of the Nana nap in the afternoon. But what so happens the, if you don't, like, are you cranky or what, what exactly happens? It, look, if I'm on a big shoot and often it's like when you're turning images around or there's a lot of travel involved, then you could I could do like, you know, a 14-day straight of you know, kind of five-hour, you know, sleep only five hours sleep a mm. night, mm. but then I crash and yeah. then I need to sleep for like, you know, it might take me uh, a week to recover where I'm trying to catch up on my sleep. But I do, I am a fan big fan of the 20 minute power nap and the trick is to not go into it's REM sleep mm. you, you sort of you just get there and just come out because if you go into that deep sleep then you're just really groggy and the other thing I've talked about it before is to make sure that you choose your pillow carefully for the afternoon nap and you mm. choose a pillow especially as you get older Val you choose yes. a pillow that has um, it's either silk or or oh. just a very fine cotton that doesn't leave the imprint. You don't oh. want to go with those, the waffle weave, you know, the really coarse. Because yes. I've been caught out where you fall asleep and you know it's a good sleep where you start dribbling on the pillow, but you also <laughs> wake up and you've got like half your face has waffle weave imprinted on it. Why don't and you just sleep on your back? I sleep on my side, Val. Do you sleep on oh. your back? Yeah. I used oh. to sleep on my front until some doctor told me that I shouldn't. No, but like, yeah, I think sleeping on your back, your bed hair isn't as bad either as sleeping on your side. Oh, okay. Yeah. First world problems. See, this is more than a photography <laughs> podcast. Look at those. That was gold. What we just gave away there. Life those two hacks from Gina and Val. <laughs> Life hacks on sleeping and just getting through life in general, you know. Oh, no. Okay. I know. We're just the podcast that keeps on giving. It just keeps on giving, doesn't it? If anyone is still, do right. you, what at what point do people just switch off and go? They're just going to prattle on uh, about. I don't know, but you know what? <laughs> you know what? On my um, my my other podcast because you know I co-host another podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer. I, I put in some Easter eggs. So at the at the very end. Where usually the credits roll and stuff. Yeah, I I did a little test, so I put in an Easter egg where it was me continuing to talk about various things, and yeah. I gave a prize to people who could answer questions from the Easter egg. Can we do that? I want to do that. <laughs> they, but they have to wade through you talking about macrame. Don't and say wade is, through. I had I no, was talking no, about interesting things. What were you Gina. talking about? Val? What now? What, like, what were you talking I about? I did sort of like a top five. So I did kind of like what I'm watching right now, what I'm reading right now, what I'm yep. you know doing right now, what I'm you know just a top five of things that was sort of vaguely related to writing or creativity. Not mindless dribble. Not mindless dribble. Not mind- and on but that, that wasn't note- mindless. That sleeping <laughs> hack, I think it's gold. Okay. You can do your top five do hacks of the week. All right. You do your top five hacks of the week then. Right now. Yeah, and no, not right now because oh, they'll be crap because you haven't thought of them. <laughs> um, but maybe next time. Okay. So on, on that note, Gina, let's sign off. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Where do we find you online, Gina? 
So you can find me on all social media platforms at Gina Militia. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A, GinaMilitia.com as well. I'm in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community. (laughs) And if you want more uh, personalized uh, help, if you want to take your photography to the next level and some support there, you might want to consider joining me in the goal community where it's like sort of more one-on-one tuition. And um, I'm loving that working with everyone. Just got a new tutorial uh, that I just put out there uh, about using textures with your portraits, which can be Mm. really cool and uh, just about to record uh, some photo critiques. So I go through uh, the, the members' photos and critique them and uh, that that takes them, like the, the, the change I see once like that, that gets going, like they, they improve so rapidly. I'm so proud of them. It's, uh, it's just such a joy for me, Val. I love it. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Great community as well, the gold community over at ginamilitia.com. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and of course also in the Gold community where I'm lapping up all of the tutorials and the masterminds that Gina does. Thanks so much for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.